Shalom. Welcome to the podcasts of Light of Menorah. And we are in the series that I call Truth Nuggets. We're in our 10th one right now in this uh, collection. And in this collection, we are now in our fifth lesson on the Lord's Prayer. And so we have a collection within a collection. We've got the Torah Nuggets, and in here we've got these lessons on the Lord's Prayer. This is Reverend Ferret of Light of Menorah Ministries, and you know our purpose is to put the Bible in its historical context and to take a look and study the Bible from the point of view of archaeology and geography and history the customs and culture of those days. You could call that the Jewish roots of our faith. So it's not only just Jewish roots. And even the language, uh, languages of the ancient Middle East. So again, we try to put the Bible back into its historical context. And so far, what we have seen is that the Lord's Prayer is so related to the culture of Jesus' day. The words, and all we've done... W- really dealt with is our Father, who is in heaven. And as we take a look at the background of what they heard, they would have been very familiar with these ideas, with these words. So as we put the prayer back into its historical context, we can grasp how the disciples heard the prayer 2,000 years ago. And therefore, it adds to our understanding. Because then it enhances the meaning for us so that we can see like they did, or at least we attempt to see as they did. We attempt to hear as they heard. We attempt to understand what Jesus was trying to get across in that prayer that we called the Lord's Prayer. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible, and I'm in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 9. And Jesus says, Pray then in this way, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. So we will be focusing in on that phrase, hallowed be your name. He goes on in the prayer to say, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now we're in lesson five in this sub-series of the Truth Nuggets. In lesson three, we dealt with the phrase, Our Father. In lesson four, we dealt with the phrase, Who is in heaven? And we found out that the English word, back to the Greek, back to the Hebrew, and the Hebrew is Shamaim, basically means the place above. And we found in there that does God dwell in heaven? Well, that's a problem because if God dwells in heaven and in Genesis chapter 1 we read that God created the heavens and the earth, this implies if he lives in heaven and he created the heavens and the earth, he must have moved from his original place where God dwelt. But when we take a look at the Hebrew word shamayim, it basically comes from the word, its root, meaning a place above. And if you recall in the Torah, we looked at three separate verses where it says, there's the birds of Shamaim. 
the birds who live above. And it's translated into English, the birds of heaven. Well, no, the birds of the place just above us. So it's really, you know, us and the sky and the birds of the sky, the birds just above us. Then there was another verse in that lesson, in lesson four, where it talked about the earth, the moon, the stars, they are all part of the heavens. So that is a place above the heaven where the birds reside. So now we have another heaven where you have the universe, the galaxies, and the moon and the stars. So it's like the, like, it's like the Torah basically saying, well, there's two levels of uh, heavens. And finally, in the Torah, it talks about the highest heavens. The highest places above is where God dwells. This is his abode. And we would say it's beyond space, beyond time. God is spirit, and he dwells outside of the constraints of our universe and the limitations of time. So that's what we did in lesson four. And in this lesson, we're going to be talking about the phrase, hallowed be your name. And as I said, there's so much material that I have to... Uh, separated into two parts part one and part two so we'll have a lesson five and a lesson well we'll say lesson five part one and lesson five part two now as i add uh, basically ask you when was the last time you hallowed um i have never used the phrase uh, at all uh, it's a word that we very seldom use, except when we say the Lord's Prayer. I mean, um, if somebody asks me for coffee and I was busy and I tell them, I'm sorry, I'm not hallowed today. I, <laughs> what does that mean? Um, hey, have you gone to church uh, to hallow lately? Uh, we don't do that. Hallow is an old English word. It's a verb from the old English. In old English, is Anglo-Saxon. And the Anglo-Saxon language is basically the first form of the English language way back, dated to even before, oh, about 400, 500 AD. Merriam-Webster basically says that Anglo-Saxon is uh, the language that really is uh, seen in ancient literature from 700 to 1100 AD, and we would call that Old English. And so therefore we would see the word hallow. Hallow, then, and today, means to sanctify or to make holy. Now, we have to take a look at that. What does it mean to make something holy? Now, Jesus is not speaking Old English. He's not even speaking English. He's not even speaking Greek. He's speaking Hebrew. He's not speaking Aramaic. So, we bless God because back in the 3rd century B.C., there was a, a work that was done by translating the Hebrew scriptures, we call the Old Testament, into Greek. The Torah, the first five books of the Bible, was basically completed in the 3rd century, by the mid-3rd century B.C., and the rest of the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, was finished uh, in the 2nd century B.C. 
So what we have, therefore, is we've got a translation from the Hebrew to the Greek. And so, therefore, if we know how to use the Septuagint and other scholarly tools, we would be able to say, all right, if I have a Greek word, I should be able to find the equivalent Hebrew word by taking the Septuagint and going backwards. Now, in my graduate studies, this is exactly what I was taught, how to take a Greek word in the New Testament and find the Hebrew equivalent. And we use some very special resources. One of them happens to be Thayer's Greek lexicon and also the Gesenius Hebrew lexicon. Both of these editions has the Strong's numbers already as part of the resource. So we could find a Greek word very easily. We got a Strong's number. We can go to Thayer's Greek lexicon, look it up, and then Thayer's Greek lexicon uh, suggests Hebrew words that this would have translated in the Septuagint. The problem is it doesn't give you the Strong's numbers. You have to learn how to read Hebrew, and that's where you get into the Gesenius Hebrew lexicon. In the Old English, we have the word hallow. In modern English, we might say sanctify. The Greek word there is hagiadzo. Hagiadzo. The Strong's number is G37. And when we go into Thayer's Greek lexicon, not Strong's concordance, you cannot do this at all with a concordance. A concordance is not meant uh, to look up meanings of words or even to do... Um, what we're doing, and that is trying to take a Greek word to associate it to its Hebrew equivalent. But in Thayer's Greek lexicon, it shows us that the Hebrew equivalent is Kadash. Strong's number is H6942, and that is a verb. To set apart, to separate, to make something distinct from the common. Kadash. In other words, to make something holy, to sanctify. And that's exactly the Hebrew meaning. To sanctify, to make something holy, is to set something apart, to, to separate it, to make it distinct from the common, to, to put it in a special place. The adjective that's related to all of this is kadosh. And that Strong's number is H6918. So Kadosh is something that is holy. I mean, it's the adjective. Something that is set apart. Something that is separated. So for us, this whole concept of whether we're using the verb or the noun in Hebrew, the, an example, simple example of Kadosh. The simple example of being holy. Of something being separate and special. As a police officer, he's Kadosh. He is holy. He's set apart. He is set apart to protect and to serve. So clearly, a police officer is definitely, distinctly different from the rest of us. Another one is a library. A library is a building that is kadosh. It's set apart. A very special building. It's the place where we are able to access and borrow books to read. So it's not a gas station. It's not a department store. It's set apart. It's distinctly holy in terms of its separateness from the common. Now, God tells us that his name is Kodesh. This is the noun we did with the adjective and the verb, and you notice that they all sound alike. 
Kodesh is the noun, and we find this in three separate verses in Leviticus. And I'm just going to read one of them. I'm going to go to Leviticus 20, verse 3. And again, reading from the New American Standard Bible. The words are, I will also set my face against that man and will cut him off from among his people because he has given some of his offspring to Molech so as to defile my sanctuary and to profane my holy name. So here God is saying, my name is holy. You'll find this in Leviticus 22.2. You'll find this in Leviticus 22.32. Now I want you to notice when you take a look at these three verses, there's the use of the phrase profane my holy name. You'll find this in all three verses. Leviticus 23, which we just read, 22.2 and 22.32. In all three, it talks about profaning his holy name. So, but, but God is declaring his name is holy. In Psalm 103, verse 1, David is writing, and he said, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. So the Bible, the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, are declaring that God's name is holy. So in the Lord's Prayer, our Father, who is in the highest places above us, outside of space, outside of time, in the highest heavens, if you would, we say, hallowed be your name. And hallowed is to, to make something holy, to set it apart. And so we're saying, may your name be made holy, but the issue is God's name is already holy. So what does that mean? God said it. His name is Kodesh. It is holy. Now, when we go into the Hebrew culture of Jesus' day, what we find is the rabbis were teaching that to sanctify God's name, which was called Kiddush Hashem Elohim, to sanctify the name of God, Kiddush Hashem Elohim, make God's name holy, had an opposite concept, and that was called Hillel Hashem Elohim, profaning the name of God. The rabbis would teach these were exact opposites. The point being, though, is, hallowed be your name, may your name be sanctified, may your name be made holy. That Hebrew phrase is Kiddush Hashem Elohim, to sanctify the name of God was already something everybody knew about. They knew its opposite, Hillel Hashem Elohim, to profane the name of God. We just read that in Leviticus. In all three of those verses in Leviticus, it's talking about profaning my holy name. And the rabbis would say, these are opposites of each other. So, in Jesus' day, in the Lord's Prayer, disciples already understood these polar concepts, Hillel Hashem Elohim and Kiddush Hashem Elohim, to profaning God's name and sanctifying God's name or hallowing God's name. When they hear hallowed be his name, no, they didn't. They heard it, obviously, in Hebrew. They fully get it. They know the Torah verses already. This was part of their education 
as men in the Galilee. By the time they're 12 years old, they have already gone through these verses. They know God's name is holy. But here's the interesting thing. They knew God's name is holy. So when Jesus is saying, sanctify God's name, they knew that they were to show it in their lives. They were to show that God's name is holy, not by their words, but by action. That's what Jesus is teaching. Hallowed be thy name really would mean, let me live, O God, that my life would show that I treat your name as special, as holy. It's not what I do to God's name. It's actually what I do in my life to show, to make it observable that God's name is holy in my life. So it's not what I do to God's name, but it's what I do in my life to proclaim that God's name is holy. I've given you a link at the website for Light of Menorah, and that's www.lightofmenorah.org. And Menorah is spelled M-E-N-O-R-A-H. So lightofmenorah, all one word, .org. And I've given you a link to Lois Tverberg's article that's entitled, What Does It Mean to Hallow God's Name? Now, Lois Tverberg is an awesome Bible scholar. She is a great teacher, a renowned speaker on the Jewish roots of our faith, on the Bible in its historical context, and she is a true disciple of Jesus. This is a must-read. You really definitely have to uh, read this article. She gives a lot of background and she has done such an awesome job. Now, she goes into Jewish culture, and she is the one that has shown me about these two opposing concepts that the rabbis were teaching, Hilal, Hilal Hashem Elohim and Kiddush Hashem Elohim. In other words, profaning the name of God or making the name of God holy, sanctifying God's name, or using the old English word, hello be your name. In quoting from her article, Lois says, This is probably the main intent of Jesus' use of hallowed be your name. But an excellent lesson for how it is accomplished comes from the Jewish understanding of the idea of hallowing or sanctifying the name, Kiddush Hashem. The opposite is Hillel Hashem, to profane the name. These two phrases are rich with significance in Jewish tradition and are still used today. So the rabbis then, they talked about hallowing God's name. And Lois provides more information in her article because the rabbis would say, how do you do it? How do you make God's name holy? What are the actions you do? Well, one of them is to live a life of integrity, a life of honesty, a life of righteousness. Another one is to keep God's Torah. In other words, obey God's commands and his dictates and instruction to obey him, to serve him, to study his Torah. They also go on to do a heroic deed or even give up your life. Give up your life so that you would not compromise your faith. Become a martyr. 
So these are some of the things that rabbis say are ways that you make God's name holy. The clear thing that we get out of this, and especially in Lois's article, is it's a visible action. Something you do, it's not words. We in the church today, for many Christians, um, you know, we talk about, oh, glorify God and your name is holy, and that's as far as we take it. In other words, we just use words. But in Jesus' words, uh, in Jesus' day, it's not words, it's action. It's living a life to bring God glory. Now, Jesus teaches about God's glory in the vine and the branches. So I'm going to go to John 15 and verses 5 through 8 and then verse 16. And we read, I'm the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather him and they cast him into the fire and they are burned up. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done to you or done for you. My Father is glorified by this. Here it is. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Now in verse 16, later on in that chapter, Jesus says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear much fruit. God, he's demanding action, not words. He's, a, he's saying, produce fruit. And so that whatever you ask, of the Father in my name he may give to you. Now, <clears throat> we're to abide in him, and we're supposed to produce fruit, and we are chosen by him to produce fruit. And the Father is glorified in this. This is exactly what it says in verse 8. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit. And on top of that, it proves that we are the disciples. But this is how we hallow God's name. We're sanctifying God's name. We're making God's name holy. We're bringing glory to God. And so we could say the vine and the branches is a picture of being a disciple. A vine and the branches is uh, instruction, a visible picture as to, or, or a tangible picture as to how we're to be disciples, how to bring glory to the Father, and if we're bringing glory to the Father, we're sanctifying his name as it was understood in Jesus' culture then. Now the opposite of Kiddush, Hashem Elohim, the opposite of hallowing God's name or making his name holy, is Hillel Hashem Elohim, profaning the name of God. Remember those three verses in Leviticus 20. Leviticus 20, verse 3, Leviticus 22, verse 2, and then Leviticus 22, verse 32. In all three, there was the phrase, not to profane my holy name. God has declared his name is holy, but he talks about profaning God's name. Now, in Lois's article, that again, I really highly suggest that uh, if you're listening by Podbean, or you're, if you're listening on... Um, uh, iTunes from Apple or whatever, and you're not accessing the website to listen to the podcast, I highly recommend going to the website, going to Lesson 5, 
that will be under Torah Nuggets number 10. Looking in the lesson description, you will find that link. And Lois goes on to say, this idea of Kiddush Hashem Elohim, sanctifying God's name, making the name of God holy, and its opposite, Hello Hashem Elohim, profaning God's name, is all related to something very specific that God gave his people at Sinai. It's related to the Ten Commandments. Now in part two, we're going to take a look at the Ten Commandments with specifically one commandment. And we're going to see how that commandment is related to the Lord's Prayer. So, shalom, and I'll see you in part two.